Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We are going to, uh, we're going to start learning a little bit. I did not make enough copies, which is awesome. So those of you who came together, I gave you only one copy and hopefully you're okay sharing. Um, we are going to study a bit about Parshat Pinchas from an angle that you've probably studied like 50% of what we're going to do today. And I hope that the other 50% is new to you. So Parsha Pinchas is the, is the Parsha where we get the story of the daughters of Slofchad, which I put on this source sheet to make a point, but we're not going to, that's not going to be our main, our main study focus for today. We're actually going to talk about another woman who is mentioned in this week's Parsha. For many of you, you probably know that women are not typically named uh, often in the books of our Torah. What? But there, right? But there are, but there are many, and, and AJ has counted. So there are eight who are named specifically in this parsha, um, and we're going to look at the daughters of Slofchad, which is five, and then Serach, which is uh, six. So. Um, the, the the really interesting piece, and, and I'll take you through this a little bit, um, the, the really interesting piece about this Parsha and how the women are mentioned is that we're going through clans, right? We're going through how clans were counted. And it at before we get to all the different names, it says that it's the men over the age of 20. So you don't actually even expect to hear women mentioned, and then all of a sudden we hear women mentioned. So to me kind of the 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 um the the alarm uh the alarms that go off the bells that go off when i see something like that is why say that only the men were counted but then single out certain women to name <laughs> because if you're actually naming women then clearly you are counting both uh so why say that you were only counting one gender when when you're going to name uh uh people of both this camera's a very weird angle i'm just gonna like people are kind of looking up looking up my nose here um okay so we're gonna again we're gonna focus i'm gonna take you through these two different let's call them stories um but then we're gonna really spend most of our time on sarah but asher um so that what you see on this source sheet right here is a lot of text. We're not going to get through all of it. You've probably never come to Sue Dashley Sheet and been given a four-page document. But I wanted you to have all of some of these texts, even though we're not going to read through them, because I just think they're they're fascinating. So we're going to start with the daughters of Slovchad because they come up first in our Parsha. So chapter 26 of Bamidbar of Numbers, verse 33. So it says, I'm just going to read in the English because, again, we're not going to we're not going to dive deeply into it. Now, Tzlovchad, son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters. The names of Tzlovchad's daughters were Machla, Noah, Cholga, Milka, and Tirza. By the way, a lot of these names are used in modern day Hebrew. I know lots of Tirzas. You all know not lots of Noahs, right? So um, these are not these are not like all the other names uh, that we sometimes hear when listed that people make fun of, you know, like, why are they, we never use any of these names, but these are actually um, named, uh, used very often. Those are the clans of Menashe. Men enrolled, I purposely didn't change this to be gender neutral, so you can see kind of this discrepancy, which is very interesting. Those are the clans of Menashe, men enrolled 52,700. These are the descendants of Ephraim by their clans of, let me see if I can say this in 
correctly. Shutelach, the clan of Shut, uh, of Shutelachi, of Becher, the son of Becherites, of Tachan, the, the clan of Tachanites, right? Tachanim. So, Again, we're talking about a big number of men, but then we happen to just mention these five women. Just a few verses later, nine verses later, we get this. The name of Asher's daughter was Serach. These are the clans of Asher's descendants, men enrolled 53,400. So what I want you to see here, again, I'm just laying these two pieces out just so you can kind of hear the language. What I want you to see here is that and if you open up your Chumash, I didn't, I didn't want to copy the entire Chumash, but if you open up your Chumash, you'll see many other clans also listed with numbers, men enrolled blank, the, the, this clan named blank. Um, but what you'll see here is that it's saying men enrolled, but then all of a sudden we're naming these women in the middle. And are they not part of that count? Are they just being singled out because they're super special? Let's, uh, we'll get there in a second. So the story of the daughters of Slovchad is the following. I'm going to, I'm going to read through it, even though I think most of us know it. Um, and then I'm going to ask you why you think that they were then named, why the daughters were then named in the Torah. Because remember the Torah doesn't, doesn't, uh, it has an economy of language. So it doesn't use any words, uh, frivolous, frivolously. We are using words intentionally. God spoke to Moses saying, among these shall the land be apportioned as shares according to the listed names that were, that were recited above. We are, we're kind of, we're going in order here, right? So we, we met all these characters. Now we're getting the story behind the daughters of Slovkan. With larger groups, increase the share. With smaller groups, reduce the share. Bigger clans, bigger land. Smaller clans, smaller land. Makes sense. Each is to be assigned its share according to its enrollment, which is why it tells us a number. The land, moreover, is to be apportioned by lot, and the allotment shall be made according to the listings of their ancestral tribes. Each portion shall be assigned by lot, whether for larger or smaller groups. The daughters of Slovchad, of Masonite family, son of Hefer, son of Gil- Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Yosef, came forward. So you can see that Joseph, right? Joseph, the Joseph we all know from Shmot, from Exodus, these are his great, great granddaughters, I think, if I did that correctly. The names of the daughters were Malcha, Noah, Holga, Milka, and Tirza. Not only do we get them named once, we get them named twice, right? So we're going to remind you again of their names. That's how important it was. They stood before Moshe, uh, Eleazar, the priests, the chieftains, and the whole assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not one of the faction, Korach's faction, which banded together against God, but died for his own sin, and he has left us no sons. And he has left no sons, sorry. Let not our father's name be lost to his clan just because he had no son. Give us a holding among our father's kinsmen. So there are a few things happening here that are surprising. Number one, they open their mouth, right? (laughs) We don't, there are not many women for whom we hear of them speaking. Every woman since Chava, since Eve in Genesis, speaks, but we hear of a man speaking for her, or a serpent speaking for them, right? It's not that the woman is speaking on their own behalf. In this story, the women not only are named and present, but are speaking. 
and are asking for something, right? That's the second surprising thing. They're not just speaking to pray. They are speaking to ask for something. They're advocating for themselves, which has not yet happened in our Torah um, by, by women. Sometimes people say Miriam. Miriam definitely advocated for her people. Not sure that she advocated for herself. And it was done through song and never directly, right? It was done kind of communally. Not to say that that wasn't um, admirable, but it isn't the same kind of advocacy that these women are doing here straight to the source. Moses brought their case before God and God said to Moses. So now this kind of goes back into a general form and function of the Torah of Someone speaks to Moses, but Moses has to be the one to speak to God, right? So unfortunately, when we're in Genesis and Exodus, we hear of people speaking directly directly to God. Unfortunately, when we get to Bamidbar, there's there is a distance here. So even though the women are doing something extremely powerful, it's still to the leader, not to not to God, to the to the source. Make of that what you will. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's just what's happening. <laughs> the plea of Slovcha's daughters is just. So that's this is God speaking, right? God is speaking back to Moshe and says, they're right. You should give them a hereditary holding among their father's kinsmen. Transfer their father's share to them. Right? So not only do they speak up and as women, but as women, they changed a law. And God said, you know what? You're right. This is something that, that we should be doing for you as well. Further, this is still God, further speak to the Israelite people as follows. If a householder dies without leaving a son, you shall transfer his property to his daughter. If he has no daughter, you shall assign his property to his brothers. If he has no brothers, you shall assign his property to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, you shall assign his property to his nearest relative in his own clan who shall inherit it. So if I was teaching this, you know, for like a feminist class, I would say God sort of got it, right? He got it for the daughters of Slovchad. But then we go back into this pattern of, oh, there's no sons. So give it to this man or this man or this man or this man. But by the end of that list, you get to God saying, and if none of those people exist, give it to the closest family member, right? So that could be a female. It's not written here that it should be a female, but, but it could be. So the law is being changed completely. This law shall, this shall be the law of procedure for the Israelites in accordance with God's command to Moses. Sorry that I kept God's name in there. I, I, I tried to try to get rid of them all, but, the, but this one got uh, snuck in there. So this, what we're getting here is this not only change of law, um, advocacy by women, this is a very radical experience for our Torah, right? Hopefully it's not radical for us in today's day, though in some circles it would be. But in the Torah, this is a completely radical piece of narrative and story to be sharing, probably why it's in the Torah. So my question for you is, why do they have to be named? Why are the, why are the daughters named? Great story amazing work, but why do we need to know their names? Okay, great. Great. To humanize them? They, because they were the first ones to start the law? No, right, right, right. Oh, so that's why they should be named. Right, so we give them credit. Great. Fabulous. Yeah, Rosa? Mm -hmm. 
All right, so maybe their names are connected somehow to this story, and the meaning of their names is therefore important um, and allows rabbis to give drashot, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, BJ. <clears throat> great. Right yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Totally. Sure. I see. For sure. And, and I think that BJ's point is that it's revolutionary for the time, and unfortunately, in even a hundred years ago was revolutionary for the time, right? That we're still trying to work in areas that that need women to be advocating or to not just put it on the women's shoulders, but for a society to be advocating for these things to be equalized, especially land, especially um, hereditary pieces of, um, what's it called when you give your, um, yeah, it's redundant, but yes, inherited land. Right. For sure, for sure. And so like the talkless of just recording names because they are getting land, we need to know who's getting that land. And it's important to know that it was them. Yeah. Right. Correct. Right. Right. So wait, so that's exactly my question. Why are these women then named if all of those women are so often just anonymous, right? Like, or the wife of or the daughter of, right? So, sure. We hope, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. I think names names definitely show us a piece of identity and also show us in today's day often a a value set or where history now plays into into the present. BJ, do you want to say something? Okay. Sandra? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I know that's what BJ was getting at, right? Was it is that when something formal legal you know however you want to you want to name it like right that's what i was about to say right you need to know exactly who it's going to it can't just be you know this group or this family it has to be specific to who is receiving it yeah 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 and despite him died, yeah. Right. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah, you can let me just repeat it. But you no, 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 it's great. So the 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 idea that they that the daughters mention and and in a sort of way are prideful of the fact that he didn't die because he was part of Korach's clan, but he died because of some other something, some other sin that he did, and yet they don't they don't end up holding on to that sin for themselves. And what I've never thought about before, BJ, is had they been sons, would they, would that sin have been transferred, right? Like, it does that trickle down, but not to the daughters? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right. Totally. Totally. Right. 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 And also women back in the day, and, and again, right. Right, exactly. So what Sandra's saying is like the this idea that that without without a male relative, let's put it that way, they are completely alone, right? They're no longer connected to anything because everything was connected through a male heir. And the the fact that they were going to end up homeless and clanless and communityless if none of this came their way, um, 
they're basically saying like this thing, this bad thing already happened to us. We need to make sure that something, that there's something to protect us, right? Like we already, we've already gotten rid of our, our family and our clan because we don't have a father to connect us to that any longer. We now need something that's going to connect us to something so that we are people. And, and they don't say this, but you know, when we think back to the story of, um, of Ruth that we read on Shavuot, there, there is a certain sense of without a husband, without sons for me to marry, who am I, right? I need to be connected to, in, in that day and age, a, a man, some, a partner of some kind so that I can be somebody. Because in that, in that day, these women wouldn't have had any connection without, without that. So God allows them connection even without partnership or, or heirs to be connected to. AJ. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Right. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe that sin was then connected in such a way to like just the the lack of desire, right? Of, of, uh-huh. Disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Right. 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 Yeah. Totally. Totally. I, and then I want to move on, but, um, this morning in the bat mitzvah, I spoke to our bat mitzvah, uh, about the fact that there's a line in the Parsha that, um, that Bilam, Bilam has not listened to the donkey, right? And and somehow that's seen as a sin. And there's this really beautiful commentary that says, "How can it be a sin if he didn't know what was going on, right? It can't it can't be a it can't be a sin that you didn't listen to someone if you didn't know why you should be listening to them." But what the commentary says is, "You're a person. You should be able to think through all the different reasons for which you might you might." you know, listen to somebody if you, even if you don't agree with them. And so too, when we look at the word sin here, right, is it really that they did something wrong or that they weren't willing to like step outside of their comfort zone of having once been taken care of and now, well, taken care of in the sense that they had people that were, it might not have been the best thing in the world, but they were being fed and they were being housed, right? It just wasn't, it wasn't freedom, but it still was, it was comfortable. It was more comfortable than the unknown, right? Okay. So anyway, let's let's keep going because again, there's like 75 things here that I would like to get to at least three of. Um, Baba Batra comes in and says they were named because they stood up for what they believed in, and they should be named because we should know who these people were that used their voice, right? You can read the whole thing if you want, but that's the summary that they. There was no reason for them to be a gender, a group that went up against Moshe and said, actually, you're wrong. This is what we need. And they got what they want. And so they should be named because we should each have the courage to be able to do that even at an auspicious time. Okay. Back in Genesis, Sarah ben Asher is also mentioned. We just kind of gloss over it because... It's a part of Genesis where a lot of names are being <laughs> read, and so we just kind of gloss over them. So what? She's not old yet, right? Well, that's what we're going to get to in a second. So it says here in Genesis, um, it says, Uvnei Asher, 
Yimna veyishva veyishvi uvriat. Right, this is all those all those names that you're never going to hear anybody named for. The Serach Achotan. Right, so these are all the sons, and then a daughter is named, which is amazing, right? Very rare to, for us to hear a a, a sister listed. Malkiel. Right, and, and then it goes on to say, and Beria's sons were these guys. So what Rashi says is. Let's let's pause here for a second. Who's this Serach person who just kind of popped up in the middle of a list of of boys who were being who are being named? She's still rem- the reason that she's named. Rashi is saying he's he's an- Rashi always has a question that he's answering, and the question that Rashi's answering here is why is she named? Right? Who? How? Why is she special? Why is she being named here at all? And it says because she still remained alive after all these long years. It exceptionally mentions her here. Right, so she, we're going to read a, a, a midrash in a second that says that she was just a very, very wise old woman. She lived a very long time, kind of in a magical way. There was something about her longevity that was like seen to be beyond the years that anybody lived, not just, oh, she was 120, but like even older, right? She kind of, she was kind of um, like a prophetess in that way that she lived beyond a timeline for someone's life. And and again, like in a magical-ish way. So Shmot Rabbah, the Midrash on Shmot, uh, the book of Midrash on Shmot says, there was a secret sign handed down to the Israelites in Egypt, a legacy left by Jacob, who entrusted it to Joseph. And he again to his brother Asher, who handed it down to his daughter, Serach, right? I didn't even bring the rest of the Midrash because that's really all you need to know, right? What's really so powerful about this is that there was this secret sign, something that was so uh, powerful to be handed down generation after generation after generation that when it got to Asher, who was Joseph's brother, he's he's listed by Andrew Lloyd Webber in the musical also, right? He's he's one of the kids. When when it gets to Asher, who does he give it to? Not this list of boys that we just heard. He has tons of sons, but he gives it to his daughter. There was something very powerful about that, right? This is Midrash. This is not Torah. So you know that we are we are taking this as interpretation, not necessarily. Um, not necessarily fact from the Torah, but all these rabbis are trying to answer the question of why is she why is she mentioned? There must be something special about her for her to be mentioned at all. <clears throat> this next piece of text is long, but it's a story. So hopefully it'll go quickly. It just looks long on the page. So I'm gonna read it. Um, and then and then we can, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So again, this is also Midrash. It's just on the book of Genesis. So it's coming from um, when she's first listed in Breshi. And when Joseph had finished giving them his orders, uh, he turned and went back into Egypt. And the sons of Jacob went to the land of Canaan in joy and happiness to their father. And when they came to the boundaries of the land, they said to one another, what shall we do in bringing this matter before our father? Right. This is this is the moment in the Joseph story where they all know who Joseph is. And Joseph says to them, hey, you guys need to go back to dad and let him know that I'm alive. 
And so they're standing on the cusp of, I'm kind of imagining, you know, when you get off the plane and you're like, so what do we do next, right? Do we order an Uber? Do we go get lunch, right? This is that moment of like, okay, we're in, there's a fork in the road here. What are we going to do? Because we have some big news and we should probably think about what, what are our next steps, not just plunging right in. For if we impart it to him suddenly and tell him all about it, he'll be greatly astounded at our words and he will refuse to listen to us. You've probably all heard of people who are elderly not having surprise parties, right? That having a surprise party for someone who's 100, for example, could, could be more harmful than it is beautiful, right? You could surprise someone so much that even though you have the right intentions, you could cause a heart attack, you cause them to fall, whatever it is, you have to think through what news can do to people of a certain age. So this kind of news of you thought your son was dead for all these years, no, but actually he's alive. You have to think through how you're going to share that news, both so that he believes you, because if he thinks it's a joke, it's going to be harmful and hurtful. And also that you do it in such a way that you don't harm him physically, right? That he's not so shocked that it, that it harms him. And when they went on until they approached their houses, they met Sarah, Asher's daughter, coming towards them. And the damsel was exceedingly beautiful and wise and a skilled player on the harp. And they called her and she came to them and she kissed them, right? These are all her, her uncles, probably cousins also, but uncles. And they took her and gave her a harp saying, saying to her, go, we pray thee before our father and sit down before him, her grandfather, strike this harp and speak to him according to these words. And they instructed her concerning what she had to say. And she hastened to Jacob and she sat down before him and she sang and she played beautifully upon the harp and she sang in the sweetness of her voice. Joseph, my uncle is alive and he reigns over all of Egypt. He is not dead. And she often repeated these words and Jacob heard her words and it pleased him greatly. And when he heard her sing it twice and three times, the heart of Jacob was possessed by joy through the sweetness of her voice. And the spirit of God came over him and he knew that all her words were true. And Jacob blessed Sarah for singing these words before him. And he said, my daughter, may death never prevail against you forever, for you have revived my spirit. Only repeat this song once more before me, for you have caused me gladness with your words. And she sang once more the same words and Jacob listened and he was pleased and he rejoiced and the spirit of God came over him. And while he was yet speaking with her, his sons came before him with horses and chariots and royal garments and servants running before them. This part is in the Torah. And Jacob arose and went to meet them. And he saw his sons dressed in royal garments and all the good things that Joseph sent to them. And they said to him, to Jacob, be informed that our brother Joseph lives. That is a typo. And that he rules another typo over the whole land of Egypt. And it is he who has spoken to us all we have told you. And Jacob heard all the words of his sons and his heart fainted for he believed them not until he saw all that Joseph had given them and that Joseph had sent along with them and all the signs he had spoken to them. And they unpacked all the things. This is all in Torah. He unpacked all the things before him and they displayed all that Joseph had sent and they gave to every one of them what Joseph had sent him. And Jacob knew that they had spoken the truth and Jacob greatly rejoiced on account of his son. And he said, it is enough, Joseph, my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. 
and his sons told to him all that they had that all that had befallen him them and Jacob said I will go down to Egypt to see my son and my children right interesting that he's in front of his children but that he's categorizing all of his children uh, only when Joseph is connected with them and Jacob rose up and he put on the garments which Joseph had sent to him and he put a turban upon his head which Joseph had sent him after washing and shaving himself right because he was in mourning so he hadn't washed and he hadn't shaven and all the men of the house of Jacob and their wives dressed themselves with the things that Joseph had sent them and they rejoiced greatly on account of Joseph that he was still alive and that he was a ruler over Egypt and all the inhabitants of Canaan heard the news and they came and rejoiced with Jacob on account of Joseph that he was still alive. So there's something very powerful here about Sarah, right? What does she, what does she do in this story? Yeah, she's the good messenger. And what is, what is she, how does she prepare her grandfather? Yeah. Yeah, she does it through music. She does it through calm sweet nature right there's no there's no surprise there's no big group of people she just goes to be with her grandfather and share some news right and she the news that she shares is big news but she does it in a small way right and and i don't mean small in a bad way she does it in a very sweet calming mundane way and because of that her grandfather says to her I'm going to gift you with long life because you've given me life at a time when I didn't expect to have long life. And so now I'm going to gift you that you have a life that endures forever. So that's where we get this idea that Sarah was kind of this magical old woman who lived forever because she was, she brought life to other people. Yeah, AJ. It's okay. We're about to get further down. So you're okay. <laughs> Do you want to take us there? So uh, all I'll say about the Zohar and Rabbi Shapiro is going to be so mad because I told him I was going to be teaching Zohar. <laughs> so everyone read it at home. Um, but I am going to skip over just for, for time's sake. This is a, it's a very interesting piece of Zohar where basically these students who were all men at the time go to their teacher, Shimon Bar Yochai, and they say to him, Hey, we know, we noticed that there were these different rooms that we were never allowed in. Who are they for? And the Zohar ends up taking you through all these powerful women over the course of our history who were studying in these rooms. So the first one is Bhatia. Exactly. 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 So yes, they're mystical chambers and that they come from the Zohar. I should have, should have made that clearly. Sorry. Right. Well, the Zohar says there's only four described here, but there were six that the students mentioned. They, <clears throat> you are correct. Um, so one was Batya, right? And they, and they speak as to why she was there. The second one is Serach. Um, I'll read you the Serach one, just so you have a sense of what this is saying. In another chamber, Serach Bat Asher comes, and so many thousands and thousands of women who merit to be with her. Three times a day, the announcement comes, the likeness of Yosef, the tzaddik, is coming. With joy, she goes out, right? Similar to the joy that she brings to her grandfather, to that curtained area which is dedicated to her and observes light 
with the likeness of Yosef. With joy, she bows before it, saying, Happy was that day when I gave the tidings before my grandfather that you, Joseph, were still alive. Then she returns to the rest of the women, and they delve into the praises of the ruler of the world and praise the name, meaning God. How many places and joys and that each and every one of them had that they return and dive into the precepts of Torah along with their meanings. There's something so powerful here about the fact that there was this room where if you wanted to have this kind of connection to Torah and God, you went to be with Sarah and that's what you got in your learning. Like your Beit Midrash room was dedicated to Sarah, right? This one's dedicated to Pilch and that one was dedicated to Sarah, right? There's a certain... There's a certain power behind who was in that space that you would then have that connection to Torah and Judaism. So then it goes into Yocheved, um, Devorah is another one. It's a very, very interesting piece that you can, that you can read through. Um, but we're not going to do it right now. AJ, take us to the next. Yeah. Yeah. True. Right, right. In Parsha Pinchas. Yes, that's true. That's true. Okay, so take us to the last piece. The last piece, piece is Midrash on Mishle, on um, actually a line from Eshet Chayo, Pia Padcha Bechochma, Vetorat Chesed Al Shona. So yes, AJ, go ahead. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Who, who else are you thinking of? Oh, sure, 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 sure. No, it's okay, that's okay. Right, so, so Jonah kind of is... Uh, Jonah's a very different character when it comes to saving a city. Well, let's just put it that way. But Sarah, it seems, did... Sorry? He had a reason. Yes, yes. Um, seems to have done it with with wisdom and with, again, similar to her story with her grandfather, with her mouth, right? Maybe with song in this case or with or with words of wisdom. But the the reason I put this on here is because I think there's... There's something to be said for not it just being active, and this is what connects it back to the daughters of Slovchad, right? That they were wise because of the way that they used their words and their advocacy. They didn't build an ark or uh, build a tabernacle or do any of these big, you know, work projects. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that stereotypically. Those are just the things that tip, that that people in our Torah are often named for. But they used their words. They used their words to do something that was praiseworthy, and then they were praised, right? And they and they were valued um, for the for what their words did for the world. So, in the in terms of the daughters of Slovchad, women were then given land and given rights around um, inheritance. And for Serach Bat Asher, there is a certain sense of of being connected to our words in a way that we can give back life or save people uh, here here speaking specifically to a city but of course in the story that we read uh, it was specific to a person and to a family so yes alan last word i would have to go back into samuel and see where it, it's it's exactly coming from it's very possible i just don't know the citation off the top of my head but it's very very possible you you're curious because that was another woman involved yeah Yeah. right that's why i was asking aj if if she was thinking of if she was thinking of someone specific it's possible i didn't look at the citation before putting it on here um but it's very possible i was more interested in the connection back to the daughters of slovka in terms of words but um yeah it's possible (laughs) it's okay we can all look it up. It's Shmuel Bed. It's Samuel uh, 2, the second book of Samuel, uh, chapter 20, verse 16. Yeah. 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 Her and Miriam. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 
Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't bring that story. But yes, there, this, this sorcery started out as eight pages. I felt like four was already too long. But yes, there are many stories of what Sarah, uh, what Sarah did. I can send you the rest of it. Um, so Shabbat Shalom. This is, I hope that this brings a little bit of, um, of joy, but also enlightenment to the story of, of the Parsha of Pinchas. And now you'll look, you'll look for these women's names when we read through, well, when you read through the Parsha and not just see them as listed, but also know the stories behind them. So thank you for learning with me. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.